Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Mother's Day is just around the corner. And it's time to pamper the special mom in your life. And what better way than with the Osea's limited edition skincare sets. Featuring clean, vegan, cruelty-free products that are safe for your skin and the planet. Osea is a women-founded, women-led brand that's been making seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. This Mother's Day, Osea has two limited-edition sets that are perfect for gifting or keeping for yourself. Their advanced eye care duo brightens, awakens, and firms the skin around your eyes, while the golden glow body trio nourishes and smooths the skin all over. Both sets are packaged in giftable boxes. They're so beautiful you can skip the wrapping. And the best part? For a limited time, you can save up to $46 on Osea's sets. Plus, get free shipping. That's Mother's Day made easy. This Mother's Day, get 10% off your first order site-wide with code MOM at OseaMalibu.com. Go to OseaMalibu.com and use code MOM for 10% off site-wide. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. This is a Red V podcast documentary detailing the incredible 1996 season by the St. George Dragons. Don't forget to like us on social media, on Facebook, the Red V podcast, on Twitter, at Red V podcast one, Instagram, the Red V podcast, and Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Red V podcast. We hope you enjoy this incredible three-part journey of the St. George Dragons 1996 season. Mundine! Are they going to get him? No, I don't think so! Mundine's over! St. George! And they beat out Justin Bell! Gets it away and Bartram scores! Will they extend? They'll tell a man they will! Bartram from Dummy Hart. The narrative of the St. George Dragons 1996 season is a complex one. At its best, it tells the dramatic rag-to-riches story of the side with the Big Red V. A season where they defied all the odds. Ten players at pre-season training, no coach, players training at other clubs, as well as the dark cloud of Super League hanging over their heads to somehow make it all the way to the grand final. At its worst, it shows fans how close St George was to a shattering demise and extinction. How on earth did they do it? Well, 
This is how. This is the story of the 1996 St. George Dragons. accurately portray the St George Dragons comeback story, we need to backtrack several years before 1996 to gain some context. The Dragons had a very successful period pre-1990s. The Harry Bath coach sides had secured premierships in 1977 and 1979 to restore pride in the Red V after a barren run of 11 seasons without a premiership. The Dragons had famously won 11 premierships in a row from 1956 to 1966. His crop of young players, affectionately labelled Bass Babes, took St George to the summit twice in the space of three years. Many of these players continued to play well into the 1980s and the success snowballed under new coach Roy Masters. A preliminary final defeat to Parramatta in 1984 was followed by a grand final defeat in 1985 against Canterbury. Unfortunately, the lack of forward planning by the Dragons management and the loss of key players such as Michael O'Connor, slippery Steve Morris, the long-term suspension of talented halfback Steve Lenane, as well as the release of a host of players at the end of the 1985 season saw the Dragons become the also-rans of the competition. It wasn't until the appointment of Brian Smith in 1991 that the Dragons eventually made it back to play semi-final football and the club was turned around. Grand final appearances followed in 1992 and 1993 as well as a semi-final appearance in 1995. A crop of young and enthusiastic players had been established including the talented, brash-talking and exciting Anthony Mundine. Mundine, the son of Australian boxer Tony Mundine, was equally adept with his hands in the boxing ring as he was throwing a cutout pass for the Dragons. Boxing would be his calling in future years, but for now he was one of St George's most potent attacking threats. Noel Goldthorpe had taken the reins at the halfback position in 1992 having joined from Western Suburbs and refused to relinquish them. Not a flashy player, but with great vision and a brilliant kicking game, those skills complemented Mundine to a T. Elsewhere in the back line, Saints had towering winger Nick Zisti and veteran Ricky Walford, whilst veterans Mark Bell and skipper Mark Coyne led from the front and barely put a foot wrong. In the forwards, Jason Stevens had turned into one of the top props in the game. Gordon Tallis had a breakout season in 1995 and it would come as a huge loss by him not playing a game in 1996. David Barnhill, Scott Goulet and the recently recruited Queenslander Wayne Bartram made up one of the most formidable back rows in the competition. 1995 ended in disappointing fashion with a semi-final defeat to Premier's Canterbury after a breathtaking seven-match winning streak and nine wins out of their last ten to charge into the semi-finals. That said, there was optimism that 1996 would be the year that Saints could go several games better. Everything seemed to be looking up for the Saints during the 1990s, and then the Super League war broke out. A three-year tussle for rugby league supremacy between the ARL and News Corp. 
The Dragons, like every other club, were caught right up in the middle of it. Players were signed to massive deals, enticed to other clubs, loyalties were tested, and friendships destroyed. Here, second rubber Scott Goulet talks about the impact that the Super League war and the amount of money that was being thrown around took on the St George club as a whole. Yeah, it was quite disruptive, and you know, I think it affected a lot of the young players a lot too. Like they, you know, they were all of a sudden getting a lot of money and mm. you know, struggling how to handle their finances and you know, driving around in fancy cars, not not realizing they had to pay tax on the money and stuff like that. It was, yeah, it was. You know, the players probably needed a bit more uh, financial help as well. Um, yeah, but it was disruptive. And, it, like, it was difficult at St George at the time, especially at the end of the season, because, um, you know, Brian Smith left. Um, you know, we weren't sure who was going to coach. I think Rod Reddy was going to coach. And then, you know, he pretty much signed with Super League. And, because I remember at the time, I, you know, I was trying to work out what I was going to do because uh, the Roosters came and offered me did I want to go uh, to the Roosters in 97 and I went back to St George and said I don't really want to go what, you know mm. what should I do and they're, they're you know the people I talked to were pretty much saying well, they're not sure if St George is going to be there next year To make matters worse Jeff Carr the Dragons CEO at the time had been having private talks throughout 1994 and 1995 with the Eastern Suburbs Rooster Supremo Nick Politis about a possible merger between East and St George. The Dragons' name, jersey and colours would all disappear if successful. Thankfully, the SOS Save Our Saints group stepped in and the merger was voted down 6-2 at board level. With uncertainty surrounding the St George club coming into 1996, it would have been hard for things to get any worse. Yet they did. Brian Smith, who had been at the helm since 1991, departed in late 1995 to take up a coaching opportunity with the Bradford Bulls in the English Super League. Privately, Smith felt that he had taken St George as far as he could. He had rebuilt the club from the sorry state of affairs it was in at the end of 1990 and taken them to two grand finals as well as an exciting run to the semi-finals in 1995. However, it was his parting words that left more than a sour taste in the mouth of St George fans. In lamenting what he saw as the demise of Saints, Smith was critical of a St George board which he believed had become too conservative. It is tragic to see a team that went within a whisker of winning the competition for two straight years being decimated, Smith said. I think there was a real smell of Newtown to the place. Smith was referring to Newtown's untimely exit in 1983, a club that he was coaching at at the time. St George reserve grade coach Rod Reddy was quickly installed as head coach, but that too soon spelt bad news. Despite telling players at the last pre-season training before Christmas that he was committed to the club and would be there in 1996, Reddy abruptly quit the club days later after being tempted by a sizable offer from one of the new Super League franchises, the Adelaide Rams. This left the Dragons high and dry as Reddy took the entire St George coaching staff with him. In a parting shot, he said St George wouldn't survive another two to three years. With no coach and seemingly no future, there was a mass exodus of players leaving the club to train with other clubs. Noel Goldthorpe went up to the new franchise Hunter Mariners. 
Nathan Brown and Jason Stevens trained with Cronulla. Gordon Tallis moved back up to Brisbane and refused to play with St George for the entirety of 1996. Anthony Mundine was signed to both ARL and Super League. And there was question marks over his return, plus solid club players Nick Zisti and Jason Donnelly were also missing due to their alliances with Super League. Dragons second rower Jeff Hardy shares his memories of what the St George club was like at the beginning of 1996 with so much uncertainty around. You know, just the makeup of, of our club for that year, that was the worry. You know, obviously a lot of youngsters are going to get a start here and how well we're going to go, well, who knows? <laughs> you know, because um, it was it was '96, and um, it was it was a big t- big competition that year. It was a lot of t- a lot of teams, and and so talent was spread across a lot of teams. So, um, yeah, it was it was a lot of unknowns going into '96 about firstly who was coaching and how we're going to go, and what about our players that were signed mm. here that are now gone? Um, how are we going to make up for those that? All the players have already signed it elsewhere, so um, yeah, what, what's going to happen? To top all the bad news off, Penfolds had rescinded their sponsorship at the end of the 1995 season. Thankfully, local businessman Martin Newman, owner of Newman's Motor Group at Cogra, himself a Dragons Tragic, stepped in and sponsored the club when they needed him most. New CEO Brian Johnson was quickly put to work in attempts to find a new coach. He settled on former Newcastle coach David Waite, who had taken the Knights to the semi-finals in 1992 and drafted the Johns brothers into first grade. A serious coach with an analytical mind and a work ethic rivaling Brian Smith, Waite was quick to say he would only worry about the things that he could control. I was lucky enough at the time to, to be given the, uh, the opportunity to get back into first grade coaching again. And uh, it happened very, very quickly. From a phone call while I was on holidays a phone call from Brian Johnson to a meeting with Brian Johnson on New Year's Day to be back here within three or four days working under Cars Park with a bunch of players who didn't know me and uh, only two of which I'd ever had anything to do with before and uh, the officials that were still with the team telling me they were going to go to Adelaide so it was a, a very very interesting time in the, in the history of St George but as it, uh, this history will show that uh, we were able to secure up the stocks and and sort of write a fairy tale in There was the feeling at Saints that the Dragons hadn't lost out when Reddy left the club in late 1995 to be replaced by David Waite. Waite was fortunate that he had one of the best deputies in the game in the shape of the loyal Mark Coyne. As one of the most highly respected figures in the game, Coyne's loyalty to St George and the ARL had paved the way for the famous club to stay with the ARL during the uncertain times. Coyne himself a Queensland representative who had starred in the 1994 and 1995 Origin Series for the Maroons had persuaded teammates and the club to stick firm when Super League may have been the more enticing decision. Moving to St George from the Brothers Club in 1988, Coyne would start his eighth season in first grade in 1996 with the Saints. His leadership would be a hot talking point throughout the season. Oh, it was pretty a pretty hard period to, to, to get over. I mean, we had St George were probably in a real a real hard position because you know there were, there were players a lot about eight or nine players who wanted to go to Super League and the club were trying to stay ARL, but then the players all walked out and went to their Super League clubs and St George and then were going through the stage of will they or won't they go and 
from a captain's point of view, it was a very difficult time because all the younger players were asking me what was going on, but I couldn't tell them the answer because no one from the club was telling me anything. So it was a pretty difficult, difficult time for us. And uh, but we got through it. '96 came around, and uh, and most of our players walked out again. As I said, they went to their Super League clubs. So we turned up the training, and even Rod Reddy had, had sort of left as well. So we had no coach, and and we had about 10 or 11 players that were left. Uh, but slowly and surely, you know, we got David Wade in. And other players slowly lost their court cases, so they all made to come back. And everybody did except for Gordon Callis, which was a bit of a shame because we probably could have used Gordon that year. And, and uh, we built a pretty special feeling that year. I think of all, all the years I played at the club, '96 was my most favourite because we came from absolutely nowhere to get to the grand final. And uh, the feeling that we had leading up into that grand final was just quite a strong bond that I'd never felt before. Dragons' first pre-season hit-out spelt trouble as only 10 players turned up for David Waite's first session in charge. Mark Coyne, the captain, and senior players Wayne Bartram and Jeff Hardy were in attendance with a smattering of others. It was a real worry, you know, with, with what was going on and um, and players were going left, right and centre and, and they had Super League deals but Super League wasn't going to happen so they were lying themselves with Super League clubs um, and going to training with him, and, and and as Mark said, I remember looking at Mark and go, "What about, what about how we're looking here, you know?" And 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 as you said, you know, Rocket had had gone as well, and and I think this is going to be this could be a tough year for us. If if, if a real tough year by the looks of things, it's going to be. Yeah, I still remember him as well. At Cars Park, we turned up, and. Um, there wasn't the personnel there that was, was there the previous <laughs> year. With so many senior and solid first graders missing, Waite and his coaching staff had to delve into the youth and promote several talented youngsters who would have admitted that it may have been a touch too soon. Damien Smith, Ben Custo, Jim Lenahan and Scott Murray were some of the names that St George fans got used to in the early stages of the season with so many key players missing. In showing his class, retired Dragons winger Ricky Walford offered to play on in 1996 due to the Super League tearing apart the Dragons. Confidence was high, however, after St George took out the trophy final of the Coca-Cola 1996 World Sevens. The pre-season Sevens tournament was seen as a bit of a novelty, yet it provided the Dragons with a welcome distraction from the media bombardment over the future of the club. It also gave the Dragons some valuable match fitness and preparation with some of the Dragons' young players getting some valuable reps out in the middle. The Sydney Football Stadium would be a happy hunting ground for St George during 1996 and it was kind to them during a hot and humid February weekend to kickstart the 1996 campaign. The Dragons dropped into the trophy side of the tournament after an 18-14 loss to Sydney City coupled with a 44-8 drubbing of Japan. Scott Goulet crossed for two tries and captain Mark Coyne was a standout. Youngster Damien Smith pushed his claims for a first grade spot in 1996 with a two-try showing in the Dragons' 24-12 quarterfinal victory over Melbourne. Scott Goulet's good form continued with another try as the youthful Dragons sprung to life to make it to the final four. Standing in front of them was a plucky South Queensland side that too had some quality youngsters pushing for starting places ahead of the 1996 season. Saints did just enough to edge past them 20 points to 18 in a thrilling contest as Wayne Bartram's haul of 8 points got the Red V to the trophy final against South Sydney. 
Bartram's Midas touch continued into the final as the Dragons took out the trophy final with a 22 points to 14 win over Souths. Saints terrorised the Rabbitohs' edge defence with Lockford Bartram picking up 10 points via a try and three goals. It was a successful season for the Dragons, who lost just one game and took home their first bit of silverware since the 1988 Panasonic Cup. More importantly, it bonded together a side that had been torn apart by uncertainty and turmoil in the early weeks of 1996. The Dragons minus their Super League stars took on Souths in the annual Charity Shield for their final hit-out before the start of the 1996 season. Even without key players, they still had a solid nucleus with players such as Jeff Hardy, Wayne Bartram, Lance Thompson, Mark Coyne, David Barnhill and Scott Goulet. Adding in some of the young and up-and-coming stars like Ben Custo, Daniel Wagon and Damian Smith, St George had a solid side for the official curtain raiser to the regular season. A convincing 30 points to 6 victory inspired fans to believe that this season could be something special despite everything that had gone on in the background in recent weeks. The good news continued. As players found themselves being defeated in the courtrooms and Super League being denied permission by Justice James Burchett to start in 1996, players started trickling back to the club. Super League aligned clubs were still sticking firm prior to the court rulings, which saw six of them forfeit their first match. This meant the Dragons defeated the Western Reds in round one without having to take the field. The return of quality players wasn't quick enough to make an impact in the Dragons' second game of the season, a local derby clash with Cronulla. An inexperienced Dragons side missing the likes of Nathan Brown, Jason Stevens, Nick Zisti, Gordon Tallis, Noel Goldthorpe and the capable Jason Donnelly went down 24 points to 16 to the Sharks at Cronulla. It was a gallant fight by the Dragons, but the class of Cronulla shone through despite some bright spots by young centre Damian Smith and back rower Wayne Bartram. In other good news, Anthony Mundine had returned to training the week of the game against the Sharks. He was welcomed with open arms by his teammates, who, like the fans, knew that Mundine needed to be at his best in 1996 for the Saints to have success. The return of star halfback Noel Goldthorpe bolstered the Dragons ahead of their Round 3 clash against Newcastle. Goldthorpe, who had signed a Super League contract with the Hunter Mariners in mid-1995, had been stranded up north, but was desperate to come back and play some footy in 1996. I remember um, it was late, like um, when they, I think the ARL put an injunction in on um, Super League. So then they come to us. Super League told us that we, you know, we obviously we can't get going playing. So you will have to go back to your clubs. And I quickly made I, I knew where I wanted to go back and play for. And um, I rang Brian Johnson and um, John had just said, mate, yes, we're happy to have you straight back. Mm. So I went back there and I wasn't sure whether Super League were happy with me going to an ARL club, but I didn't really think about it because I didn't really want to play for anyone else anyway. And I just wanted to stick with um, the Dragons. So I went back there and I think Benny Custer had played one or two games. Mm. And, um, yeah, and, you know, I come back and then obviously, um, you know, I got to start back there. Returning players were often given a bit of ribbing at first by teammates when they finally returned to the club. But the side was delighted to see them back, as Dragons winger Mark Bell explained. 
Oh well, sometimes we have a bit of a um, bit of a uh, I suppose clapping of the hands when the boys walk into, into <laughs> the um, are you coming to the other one? Yeah. Here they come, just like sheep. Just like sheep. <laughs> Here they come back. Just like sheep coming back, you know. Just another one, boys. We'll see what turns up into. And, you know, and it wasn't, we didn't, there was nothing held personally against the player. Uh, the player. It was nothing like it. Was, yeah. They were looking after themselves. We were looking after ourselves. But we just, we just wanted to play footy. Yeah. You know and we knew that if we got back together, because we'd made the 95 side, 95 we, we got back together and we started playing well, and we'd have a good team because we had so many good players. The Dragons found the winners list for the first time in 1996, a resounding 34-30 win against Newcastle in Round 3. Goldthorpe's return a timely one, well, the likes of Mundine, Quinn and Stone had a field day for the Dragons. They won't catch him! Walford's away! Down 6-0, Newcastle turned to deft hands. Matthew John setting up Brett Grogan. He's looking for his winger! His winger's a mile behind him! Grogan! He Approaching the break, Jeff Hardy's toe tapped. The Dragons ahead 12-6 until another sleight of hand. Jamie Ainsco stealing the floor for a match-levelling solo. 50 metres to go, but there's nobody closing the gap. But after sharing the card for the first half, the Dragons waltzed through the second. Hardy's there, now Quinn. Quinn will score. Troy Stone's try the third in 15 minutes. Oh, he's run straight through them. Four minutes later, a 34-12 lead. Using strictly ball work, the Knights hit back with three late tries, but their moves all too late, the Dragons winning 34-30. The responsibility of rebuilding this club is ours in 1996, and we're well aware of that. And uh, the addition of, of uh, people like Goldthorpe back to the club just helps us show the rugby league world that through all this turmoil, you know, St George has been able to uh, become solid and unified again. The settled atmosphere was working wonders for the Saints, who propelled themselves to six points from a possible eight after a local derby win against reigning Premier's Canterbury. David Wade's impact was being felt from the first grade team all the way down to reserve grade and jersey flag, as young up-and-comer and future first grader Lee Murphy explained. Yeah, it, it certainly filtered down. Um, so, it, uh, yeah, it, it filtered down, mate. The, the culture and the, and the feel in the club around those times was amazing. Um, and then in 96, I had the opportunity to train with the first grade team a little bit and, and just being around those blokes was uh, an unbelievable feeling. And, and uh, yeah, it was it was really, really good, mate. You, you couldn't put a value on that. Mm. And you probably – it's not something you can buy. It's something that it's instilled. Mm. And, and whether it's the it, – it comes from the top, whether it comes from the players, whether it comes from a, a holistic approach, I don't know what it is, but – I think everyone's got to buy in. I think everyone's got to be involved in it. And uh, that that era there, it was certainly involved. St George ran in five tries to two to pull out a comprehensive victory and move to fifth on the competition table. Extracting revenge for being bundled out of the 1995 final series by the Dogs, the Dragons dismantled their opponents with speed and skill after a tight first half. Still to win a match, Canterbury turned to a new face to spark the feel of old. Hazam El Masri scoring his first top-grade try. The youngster, he'll score! 
St George's reply as sharp as their fullback's hands. Quinn silvers off three, but Quinn. Trailing 6-4 at the break, the Dragons controlled the second half. Toy, they must score. The victory sealed by Anthony Mundine's second try, St George winning 26-6. Oh, they clutched at it. The Dragons were making a much better fist of their draw in 1996 compared to their start in 1995. At the same stage last season, the Dragons had won just one game and had a horror start to the season. When you take a look at Saints' shocking preparation for the 1996 season, it has been a sensational effort by the players involved. Furthermore, the addition of former Gold Coast prop Colin Ward continued to add starch and depth to the Dragons' thin forward pack. After starting the season in reserve grade, Ward progressed his way into the Dragons' top 17, his ball skills were a highlight of his game in the win against the Dogs. The good times kept rolling for St George in Round 5, albeit in a spiteful game against a fired-up Canberra side at Cogra Oval. The Dragons leaned on the boot of Wayne Bartram's seven goals, whilst the sending-offs of Raiders forwards John Lomax and Quinton Pongia for high shots ensured the Dragons walked out of Cogra with the two competition points and continued their good early season form. From the kickoff, it was clear feelings were running high. Look at that defence coming in. Early luck was with the Raiders, and away with penalty resulted in their first try. Andruku, the player on the spot. Mundine hit back for the Dragons, a brilliant run complemented by a brilliant pass. In another blow for Canberra, Lomax was sent off just before half time. Bartram's rest coming a couple of minutes early. Right across the head. One man up, St George looked winners, but the green machine was back in front when Nagus ran off Clive. Nagus gets into the corner! However, any thoughts of a courageous Canberra victory hit the turf when Pongia was also sent off with 20 minutes remaining. From there, the Dragons ran in two quick tries for their 30 points to 20 victory. That's the ball game now, is the uncertainty surrounding the club at the start of 1996 had dissipated and the fans on the terraces were enjoying a St George side that was free-flowing and playing some exciting football. In further good news for the club, prop Jason Stevens and his brother Paul returned after a long holdout over their inevitable move to Cronulla. 1996 would be the pair's final at the club, but Jason's big frame and superb offloading ability would only come as a plus for the Dragons in season 96. Further additions in Adrian Brunker and Kevin Campion from the Gold Coast had further boosted the Dragons' lineup and given them much needed depth. Campion had spent the previous four seasons at the Gold Coast and had signed a Super League contract with the Adelaide Rams. With the competition not getting off the ground in 96, he moved back to the Gold Coast but was encouraged by his good mate Brunker to head down to St George to try and get a roster spot. His hard-nosed style of defence would become imperative to St George's chances in 1996. So I, I actually went back to the Gold Coast um, and they'd started the new franchise at Gold Coast Chargers and uh, I stayed down for a week, uh, week and, um, and Adrian, who was a good mate of mine, uh, was obviously good uh, friends with David Wade and yep. Adrian, Adrian had a had a chat to David about bringing me down to St George and luckily enough I, I had the opportunity. This completes part one of the St George Dragons 1996 documentary. 
Don't miss out on part two being released shortly where we take a look at the Dragons' phenomenal five-match losing streak which threatened to derail the 1996 campaign. Part two, Dragons in Decline. However, this is where the good times would stop for St George. A five-game skid would delve the club into more drama, as well as slipping down the ladder at a ferocious pace. It all started with a familiar foe returning to the hallowed turf of Cogra Oval, the Brisbane Broncos. Saints fans don't have to have great memories to recall the pain and anguish that we have gone through at the hands of the boys from up north. Grand final defeats in 1992 and 1993. Alfie Langer singing St George can't play, as well as being the club that had lured Gordon Tallis away from his contract with St George during 1996. The defeat in round six wasn't nearly as bad as those defeats in the early 1990s. Nonetheless, it started a slide that threatened to derail the Saints in 1996. In front of a solid crowd of 13,000, the Dragons held it with Brisbane for most of the first half before the class of the Broncos came out in a 22 points to 4 win. The Red and Whites revival attracted another big Cogra crowd, while would-be Bronco and former Dragon Gordon Tallis sat on the sidelines as spirited St George kept Brisbane at bay before falling for Kevin Walters' dummy. But Walters' fake pass paled when compared to Jason Donnelly's dummy act. Attempting to field Alan Langer's kick, the Saints winger committed a cardinal sin. In the second half, Adrian Brunker's pace put the home team on the board, but Saints' outside defence began to look brittle. Sailors' try inflicted further wounds and did nothing to stem the crowd flow. Langer and Walters completing the kill. The little kick for himself. The going got worse the following week with the Dragons paired up with a stacked North Sydney side. The Bears, who had had preliminary final berths in 1991 and 1994, had also made the playoffs the season prior in 1995. The Peter Louis coach squad had assembled a young, aggressive and attacking football side. Halfback Jason Taylor pulled the strings in attack with his pinpoint kicking game and was a sharpshooter in the goal-kicking stakes. Alongside him was young Queensland centre Ben Eichen, who had superb vision and strength. Speedster Brett Dallas, who had made the move over from Canterbury, was a noted try scorer and match winner on the wing. Plus there was the hardened experience in the forwards, with Origin representatives David Fairley, Gary Larson and Billy Moore, alongside their durable captain, Greg Florimo. On the afternoon of the 5th of May 1996, it all came together for the Shoreman, who dismantled a poor Dragons outfit, 42-0. Butner was a star with three tries, and the Bears' Ford pack ran over the top of a shell-shock St George side. The Saints were outclassed in every facet of the game, and there weren't too many positives that coach David Waite could take from the fixture. North took to home turf against the Saints. Few would have anticipated the tale about to unfold. The Bears went on a scoring spree, three penalties, three tries. This, the pick of the first half bunch. Here comes the double. After the break, North's leading 24-0 took up where they left off. Soden the next to score. Soden's over. The Dragons simply failing to fire and contain the Bears' attack. Chasing a hat-trick, Utner winning the race. 
Another try and the Bears racing to one of their biggest ever wins over the Saints, 42-0. Exhibition gallop, really. This wouldn't be the last battle between these sides, however. The next chapter would be very different. Saints dusted themselves off for a quick turnaround in a Friday night blockbuster at Cogra Oval against a manly side that had set the bar in terms of consistency over recent seasons. Semi-finalists in 1994, they were the best team in the competition throughout 1995 with 20 wins from 22 games. A shot grand final defeat to Canterbury left them hungry for more success. 1996 hadn't disappointed so far through seven games, with the Seagulls having won six of them to sit in fourth place. Dragons fans still had traumatic memories from two seasons prior, when an avalanche of points at Brookvale saw the Saints suffer their heaviest ever defeat, 61-0 in 1994, and revenge was firmly on their minds. Too dissimilar to the North Sydney game, Manly had quality everywhere and outmatched the Dragons in almost every position. On a wet and windy Friday night in Cogra, these foes did battle in a highly entertaining yet low-scoring fixture. With State of Origin positions on the line, star-studded Manly were full of running early. A two-point cushion via Shannon Neville. Now he strikes it, it's on its way, and it's there. Then extended to six, hilled deep in the attack. The Sea Eagles dominated, their constant pressure forcing Saints' mistakes. They had a hand on it. The 32nd minute, St George clawed two back. It's the upright and bounces through. Right on half-time, the Dragons should have hit the lead, but Mundine fumbled. He didn't grasp the ball. 6-2 at half-time, Manly with all the possession determined to push the envelope after the break. No doubt about it, forward. St George turned around Manly's attacking ferocity in the second half, unlucky not to level again. Adrian Franklin. See, I don't want that one. At the other end, the Seagulls also missed a chance. Kosev pinned for a push in the back. Seconds before full time, Sir George hammered the line again. Coyne unfortunate. One and a half on the clock. He's lost it. In the end, a scrappy eventful win. Manly six, Sir George two. Man of the match, Nick Kosev, disappointed with his side's attack. The matters got worse for Saints in the next round down at Wollongong against little brother Illawarra. Another slow start mixed with ball handling issues and a few questionable calls by referee Mick Lewis saw St George lose its fourth straight game by the tune of 18 points to 12. The side had looked well below its best in the poor four-match losing streak and things wouldn't be getting any easier anytime soon. Coach David Waite had done his best to change his team around. In the Illawarra match, Nick Zisti was given a shot on the wing and Adrian Brunker was in the centres. Jason Stevens played from the bench in an attempt to give the Red and Whites some impact and young centre Jim Lenahan was also on the bench. Unfortunately for Waite and the Dragons, it didn't have any effect. The Dragons were void of all confidence and slipped further into the mire. After a positive start, they now sat in 13th place behind Illawarra and some 10 points behind ladder leaders Sydney City. The murmurs of the future of the club and players' commitment for 1996 were in full force. Always tough at home, the Steelers were desperate to make it three in a row and it was Brad Heppy who capitalised on some ordinary Saints defence. 
This will be play on. An intercept try to Damien Smith just after half-time kept the Dragons in touch, but their defence kept coming up with new ways to make mistakes. Simon making the most of this blunder. A controversial try to David Walsh stretched it to 18-12. Scott Goulet added some respectability. Too late, though, for the struggling Saints. After a bright start, they've now lost four on the trot. To make matters worse, two days later, on the 21st of May, Brisbane unveiled Dragons star 5'8 Anthony Mundine as their latest signing. On Mundine's 21st birthday and in front of a packed house of reporters, it was revealed that he would leave St George and play for Brisbane in 1997. In a bemusing decision, Mundine had only been signed as he had agreed to play centre for the Broncos. In what would be described by St George coach David Waite as a vulgar act, Mundine flew up to Brisbane without any representation and was surprised with a birthday cake from Gordon Tallis, still contracted to the Dragons at that time, who appeared via a side door. A celebration of Anthony Mundine's 21st birthday and confirmation he'd leave the Dragons at the end of the season. You know, it was a hard decision to, um, to, to, to come here, but I'm sure, um, you know, having the players around me um, and Coach Wayne, now I should hopefully I'll do better with my career. He's the first player since the Super League war to publicly announce a change of clubs mid-year. I just want to just play good football for him, play the year out, you know, and just try and do well. He began his senior representative career this year with the club and uh, we told his management we would match any offers that he received from rival clubs. If Super League wins its federal court appeal, which starts Thursday, Mundine will be able to carry out his new obligations to Brisbane. If the ARL wins, Mundine will then have to take them to court because of this clause in his standard ARL contract. Clause 26 is designed to prevent contracted players negotiating with rival clubs during the season. I think Anthony perhaps hasn't performed to his best over the last couple of weeks because he's been thinking about making a decision on what he should do and what he shouldn't do as far as his future is concerned. I believe that all the negotiations should be going on in October when the football's completed and that's a problem that the ARL are going to have to address. The Dragons are already involved in a wrangle with Brisbane over Gordon Tallis who also hopes to move to the Super League club. Maybe some of their officials are using us uh, to breach some of the anger that they have for some of their inabilities to uh, attract and retain players. Oh, I haven't got any problems with Shane Edwards or any of the Brisbane. I am disappointed that we are losing our, our top players and I would like to think that, you know, our club isn't going to be sort of um, disregarded as a competition or, or a strong club in the future. Dragons coach David Waite was less than impressed with the circus that went on that morning, parading Mundine without a manager in front of a packed house, as well as Gordon Talents being revealed via a side door. He described it as one of the more vulgar acts he'd seen in his 15-plus years involved in rugby league coaching. Yeah, and you've got to remember that Anthony Mundine was uh, taken away from us on his birthday to Brisbane and someone jumped out of a cake at him and all those lovely things that I rated the worst thing I'd ever seen in rugby league. The way that that was done, to send a young player up there without his manager and to you know, have Gordon tell us sing happy birthday or something to him with the, the head coach sitting beside him, I thought was probably one of the most vulgar things I'd seen in football in the middle of a season. Uh, but it was also probably the greatest learning curve for Anthony in his, in his football career. It was no surprise that the Dragons' downturn in form and that of Mundine's had coincided with one another. Dragons official were none too pleased as they saw chalked apart and also had to contend with the loss of second rower Scott Goulet to Sydney City. Two key players had signed elsewhere for 1997, 
how would it affect them over the course of 1996? Coach Waite was particularly furious with the way Brisbane had conducted itself in the proposal for Mundine, labelling the Queensland club arrogant, and what they've done confirms what a lot of people think about that Brisbane club. The fact that St George weren't even given the opportunity to make an offer to the exciting youngster irked several staff and players at Cogra. In much better news, young forwards Lance Thompson and Luke Felsch signed on for the next two seasons to soften the blow for the Saints. Thompson became the richest 18-year-old with his new deal, and it was a just reward for his hard work and skillful performances. Felsch had been a quiet achiever in 1996 and had started the season in reserve grade, but had impressed the Saints coaching staff with some strong displays in the middle of the Dragons pack. Up next was a battle with perennial underachievers Parramatta. Since the heady days of the 1980s, Parramatta had suffered a severe decline. Gone were the superstars such as Croning, Sterling, Growth and Kenny. Replacing them were toilers who had the heart, but not the skill that the Blue and Golds needed. In the 10 years since their last premiership, the Eels had rarely threatened to make the semi-finals and had had a disastrous season in 1995 with just three wins from 22 games. 1996 was turning out differently for Parramatta, however. Heading into the game against St George, they had nestled themselves into the top eight on 10 competition points. Some would argue that their draw so far had been a soft one. Victories against the likes of North Queensland, South Queensland and South, plus a forfeit victory in round one against Penrith, held them in a lofty position despite having not played some of the competition frontrunners. Fullback had been a real issue for the Saints in recent weeks, with Chris Quinn's erratic form forcing David Waite's hand. Quinn's issue with the high ball had cost the Dragons points over the last few games, and in the midst of a four-game slide, something had to change. Young fullback Dean Raper got the call up as the Saints looked to get their mojo back. Mark Bell also returned to the side after a six-week layoff with a hand injury. The fact that the veteran was rushed back into the starting side shows that he is held in such high regard at the club. The round 10 match against the Eels will be the Dragons' first in three weeks due to the split rounds because of state of origin. One thing that wasn't soft, however, were some of the punches that were thrown in what became one of the most brutal rugby league games played in 1996. There's some fisticuffs in back play. Nathan Brown is involved as Parramatta... Still work the ball forward, but McBlain has to bring a stop to play. Plenty of players getting involved. Not too many punches thrown, I should mention. Uh, it was between Nathan Brown and Gary Freeman. Freeman looks like he may have, may have been cut. The crowd definitely reacted. Skips out a man with Goldthorpe and then over the back of Raper. Penalty has come for inside the 10. And again, there's some push and shove and some punches thrown. Oh, yeah, the boys are into it. Plenty of fire in this game today. This is the second or third incident we've seen. And there was a, a great opportunity for St George to score there. Paramount a very short as the ball went wide through the St George hands, but it couldn't be handled. In the end, a penalty goes to the Saints side. They'll probably have a shot at goal. Problems at all for Maybon. In the meantime, Parramatta with McCracken eyes upended there by Mundine. Mundine's going to be penalised and it's on again. McCracken wants to go it with Mundine. Lefts and rights. They might come out equal on points, but I'm sure Parramatta will get the penalty here. In a game marked by violent sin bins and many mistakes, St George made the first clean break of the game.
and really should have gone on with it. But a charge down clearing kick was the beginning of the Dragons' woes. Anthony Mundine dropped the ball cold and allowed Parramatta a 12-8 half-time lead. Mundine made up for his pre-break blunder by setting up the try of the match for Nick Zisti. But again, the Dragons snapped under pressure. Player of the game, Jason Smith, sealing it for Parramatta. The Eels, who started the game without stars Dimmock and Raper, lost Chris King with a broken jaw, but take the vital Premiership points. Unfortunately, it again spelt bad news for St George. The Dragons self-imploded with mistake after mistake. Even with Parramatta having to play with 12 men for up to 30 minutes due to two separate sin biddings, the Red V just couldn't get the job done. The loss turned out to be a turning point in the 1996 season, bizarrely enough, after the side was given a dressing down by coach David Waite post-game. So he said, we're not leaving. We went to trainers and done the, done the um, after-game uh, video and he said, boys, well, the team now, we're not leaving here until we get this clear. So we're here for a few hours. And then we just, it just clicked. Had to give for the hard-working Dragons. Either their performances would continue to hold them back and kill any hopes of a semi-final place, or they would find some fire in the belly and turn around a horrendous run of form. It wouldn't be as simple as that, however. Despite returning to the familiar surrounds of Cogra Oval, the Saints had to take on an undefeated Sydney City side that was in scintillating form. They'd won 10 games straight and had been led by the brilliant Brad Fittler and ably assisted by Ivan Cleary, Darren Junee and Andrew Walker. The Roosters would be missing Fittler, Lamb and Singh due to representative duties, but they still boasted a very talented side while warm favourites against an out-of-form Dragons outfit. An understandably small Cogra crowd cheered on the Red V as they put in their best performance for more than six weeks. Superb ball control, a dominant forward display and some silky skills from halves Jeff Hardy who had been moved from the forwards into the 5-8th role to add some starch in defence alongside Noel Goldthorpe saw them lay on three tries as the Saints powered to an upset 24 points to 8 win. Anthony Mundine with his future sorted and playing in the centres bagged a try. Raper had nabbed the fullback spot from veteran Chris Quinn in recent weeks who had been relegated to a bench utility or reserve grade fullback. Having made the move over from Cronulla the season prior, Raper, who was no relation to the famous dragon Johnny Raper, was taking his opportunities with both hands. He also gave the Dragons another dimension in attack with his running style and kick return metres made from the back. The Roosters were out of answers and ideas as the Dragons got their season back on track. From the kickoff, a weakened Roosters still look cocksure, but it was the Dragons who answered first. Dean Raper smashing shell-like defence. Rickardson's hit on Thompson cost the Roosters another two points. And when Mundine flashed over, St George Sites were set on an upset. Inside the 10. Oh, well, you wanted to see him in action. The Roosters stayed in touch with a much-needed try to Woods, and six points was the difference at the break. Chasing their 11th straight win, the Roosters hit a red and white wall, and for the first time this season, they couldn't climb back. When Campion cleaned up the chip, St George had ended a five-game losing streak.
Any hopes of a Dragons win streak were dashed a week later, however, as Newcastle extract a revenge on the Saints for the loss earlier in the season. The Knights did it comfortably in the end, winning 23 points to 12, as the Dragons' slow start again came back to haunt them. Ill-discipline also contributed, with the Red and Whites giving away 12 penalties in the 11-point loss that left the famous club in 13th place, four points outside the top eight, and all but out of the finals race just past the halfway mark of the season. Last start, the Knights were humiliated by the Cowboys, but with their four origin stars back, they quickly returned to the boil. The Dragons took some heavy hits. Noel Goldthorpe had a bad case of the wobbly. And he's in Gargas. And Andrew John's field goal and penalty put Newcastle in charge 9-0 at half-time. Quick hands and numbers out wide saw Newcastle move to 13-0. St George hit back with a soft try before Andrew John's solo effort sent Fatty into overdrive. Oh, what a player, what a man, what a champion. Down 19-6, the Dragons wouldn't give up, but in front of more than 21,000, Newcastle wrapped up the match 23-12. The Dragons had their chance at revenge when they tackled the Cronulla Sharks in the second meeting between the pair in round 13. Fans packed into Cogra Oval to see two sides do battle who had very contrasting seasons. The Dragons were barely clinging to life and had the heart monitors attached to their season. The Sharks, on the other hand, sat in sixth place on 16 points, comfortably in the playoff spots. With the forfeit in round one, they had lost just three games since and had already disposed of an understrength Dragons side 24 points to 16 in round two. In a seesawing battle, the Dragons fell 10 points behind early in the second half before tries to Mark Coyne and Mark Bell saw the Dragons leave Cogger with a point after an enthralling 20-all draw. The Dragons fired early, Mark Bell scoring in the opening 10 minutes. Dean Raper is no relation to Saints legend John Raper, but the former Cronulla Jr. is making a name for himself. Centre Paul Donaghy hit back for Cronulla and before a crowd of 13,000 this derby also proved a hit amongst players. Bell getting neighbourly with Andrew Pearce. Paul Green crawled through Saints defences just before half time and the Sharks went 10 ahead when Matt Rogers scored early in the second. Captain Mark Coyne started the home team's revival and Saints comeback received another boost when Nathan Long was sin-binned. Bell pouncing on Goldthorpe's bomb to bring about the deadlock. The Dragons at last had shown some fight and determination that their coach and fans had been looking for. But was it too late for them to make a dash for the finals? St George had been able to go on a phenomenal run at the back end of 1995 to make the finals and a similar type run would be needed in 1996. There was enough quality in the side to trouble even the best teams, but as had been the question for the past few seasons, could St George do it consistently enough? Dragons half Noel Goldthorpe remembers the team getting together at this stage of the season, knowing that they had to go on a winning streak to have any chance of playing semi-final football. And uh, I think that's the attitude these guys had. Like they didn't care. Like they, there was no pressure. And every and I, I remember that season because we were about ten weeks out. And, like, the boys are starting to talk. We need to make a run, boys, you know. We've got to make a run to get through these semis. And um, Jeff Hardy was very good for us at Saints. He was so good. Mm. He'd get the boys in together and sort of rally up the team. And then we'd all sit down and say, look, we got to start making a run and 
we need to win this and we need to win that and we need to do this and all the boys bought into it and um yeah we just got on a roll as you said and made our way through through the semis into the grand final again with only five wins next to their name for 1996 the dragons had to hit the ground running against a capable and challenging sydney tigers outfit in round 14 at Parramatta stadium the Tigers had dropped the Balmain from their name and adopted the name Sydney, as well as moving all of their home games to Parramatta from the start of the 1995 season as a way of attracting more support amongst the Super League war. It would end as a failed experiment at the end of the 1996 season, but at this stage of the season, they were 7th on the table, with an unlikely final spot not looking so unlikely. Led by a young fullback and New South Wales representative Tim Brasher, and with a hardened experience of Paul Sirinan along with Englishman Ellery Hanley, there were a group of core players there that could trouble the Saints. However, once the game started, it appeared if nothing had changed at Dragons headquarters. The Tigers jumped out to a 14-0 lead midway through the first half as a shell-shocked Dragons side saw their season flash before their eyes. Somehow the Dragons pulled themselves off the floor to take the lead before the sending off of Tigers centre Mike Doreen in the second half opened the door for St George to storm home on the back of a hat-trick of tries to Mark Bell and a double to veteran winger Ricky Walford in a 30 points to 19 win. The Sydney Tigers had two tries on the board in quick time against St George and enjoyed a 14-0 lead. But the Dragons turned up the heat and stormed back. Mike Doreen was sent off, leaving the Tigers a man down for most of the second half. Mark Bell's second of three tries put the Dragons 18-16 in front. And while the Tigers grabbed the lead again, St George put it beyond doubt with a barnstorming finish to win 30-19. Bell had always had a nose for the try line, but his anticipation on this particular afternoon against the Tigers was top-notch. Bell would have a field day when the final series came along, but his form in the regular season with his dependability and versatility were invaluable to the St George Dragons. A product of the Canberra system, Bell had been well-travelled. He'd spent time at the Raiders, West and Penrith before linking up with St George in 1995. He had over 100 games worth of first-grade experience and that was invaluable through this run mixed in with the youth and vigour of the young members of the side. His three tries in that cool afternoon in Parramatta had kept the Dragons' season alive. Just. The Dragons' turn of fortunes continued the following week back at Cogra against fellow wannabe challengers, the Penrith Panthers. The good news had started in the lead-up to the game, where it was announced that St George had agreed a deal with St George Bank as their sleeve sponsor for the remainder of 1996. The four-year deal sees Happy the Dragon, the bank's mascot, become the official mascot of the Red V. A huge financial boost for the Dragons as their charge to the final gained some momentum. St George's slick attack and ball movement was far too strong for Penrith as Anthony Mundine rediscovered the Midas touch with two tries along with winger Adrian Brunker who also bagged a double. When it was all said and done, Saints had won back-to-back games for the first time since round five with a resounding 36 points to 10 drubbing of Penrith to keep the red and white loyalists happy for another week. It was a messy afternoon for the Panthers and a busy one for the Dragons. Lance Thompson got things rolling. He scored the first of six St George tries. Anthony Mundine dummied and stepped his way through for two of his own. St George, 36-10 winners. All of a sudden, the whispers of a run into the finals were getting ever so louder. 
With a decisive matchup against fellow semi-final aspirants West on the horizon, the Dragons had a sniff. Although some of that pre-match confidence evaporated when Anthony Mundine was ruled out with the flu. The Dragons had reason to celebrate pre-game as they welcomed former Dragons greats to honour the 75th anniversary of the football club. Billy Smith, Graham Langlands and Johnny Raper were some of the names in the house. Could they inspire another Saints win? St George was able to lean upon the experience of veteran Jeff Hardy who had played everywhere for the Saints in 1996. 5'8", hooker, prop and back row. It didn't seem to phase the stocky and jovial Hardy. He, like many others, were happy to be in the team each week and helping St George keep its season alive. Hardy steered the red and whites around the field like a pro while Noel Goldthorpe pulled the strings in attack. But it was the performances of the forwards, Barnhill, Campion and Bartram, that laid the platform for the win. Post-match, those former Dragons legends joined in with the current players for a stirring rendition of When the Saints Go Marching In, led by Jeff Hardy and Norm Proven. Saints ran on minus Anthony Mundine, a late withdrawal due to injury. Wests were forced to do without Steve George Arliss for 10 minutes, his absence allowing David Barnhill to give Saints a 10-2 lead. When Colin Ward charged straight up the middle, Saints seemed home, but Wests hit back with the try of the match. Willis under the post, the Magpies! Willis went from hero to villain when he became the Magpies' second sin binning, and this time the overlap put Saints beyond reach. Now that is the ball game. One of the big reasons for the Dragons' uptick in form had been that of middle forward Kevin Campion. Signed from the Gold Coast at the beginning of 1996, the dribble forward had been a star performer in a Dragons pack that had big names in Scott Goulet, Jason Stevens, David Barnhill and Jeff Hardy. Campion's no-frills attitude and brutal defence in the middle of the park was one of the major reasons Saints' defence had improved so drastically in recent weeks. Through countless video sessions, there was nothing that could be dug up on Campion. No missed tackles, no penalties, no errors. He was fast becoming the best defensive player at the club. Nicknamed Sugarbags in his days at Gold Coast due to the amount of stitches he got, Campion had settled into life at St George and was developing into a cult figure at Saints. No more sugar bags. It was Campion the champion whenever the uncompromising back rower laid out hits to the opposition at Cogra. The grand announcers had fun bellowing out that one. Despite three wins on the bounce, St George was still under pressure heading into their Saturday night showdown with traditional rival South Sydney at the Sydney Football Stadium in round 17. The Dragons were still without Anthony Mundine, who had struggled in the last fortnight with a virus. In another change for the Red V, young winger Nick Zisti had gained a recall at the expense of veteran back Mark Bell. Zisti's recall wasn't even the best news of the week for the towering wing three-quarter. Four tries later, he was the talk of the town at Cogra. A late call-up for Nick Zisti paid handsome dividends for the St George winger. Easy try, Zisti in in the corner. He scored four tries in the 32-12 win over South on the Soggy Football Stadium to keep the Dragons in the thick of top eight contention. The Red Hot Dragons made it five wins in a row as they ploughed through the Gold Coast Chargers at Carrara by 22 points to 10. The win moved the Dragons into the top eight. It was two former Gold Coast products, Kevin Campion, who won Man of the Match, and outside back Adrian Brunker, who bagged a double in the 5-try-to-1 win that led the way. 
Strong performances up front from another Gold Coast boy, Colin Ward, as well as youngsters Lance Thompson and veteran David Barnhill laying the platform for the Dragons' backs to run riot, with Anthony Mundine again featuring in a lot that the Dragons did offensively. It was a fun environment to be playing in and to be a part of, as the Dragons' winning streak continued. It was fantastic, you know, and winning winning's contagious, and winning just changes, it changes the vibe. You know, go to any club after a loss, and it's, mm. it's you know it's it's pretty down. When you get on a winning roll, you just grow into confidence, and you and you expect to win, and you and you learn how to win. And it's, it's and it's the same as losing; it's very similar. You lose, and it's it's hard to get back on that winning trot again. But and we got on a winning trot. I think we won ten in a row in that '96 mm. run, and 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 we were on fire. And, and you know, young Anthony Mundine was just coming into his own, and um, and you need that. You need you need someone to spring from the, you know, from the youngsters to, that no one really, no one really planned about. And and he was just coming good. Um, you know, obviously he, he, we needed him back, and he'd come back and, and delivered. And he loved being at the Dragons. He'd been a Dragons junior himself. And, and Brownie come back and was going great. And you know, and Coiny and and. Um, yeah, it was just a really good vibe in the club. Everyone got on great, and you know we had you know, Troy Stone and, and, and you know, no superstars, but just good, hard-working players. The win set up a Friday night blockbuster against the Auckland Warriors the following week, with the winner almost guaranteed a finals place. In further good news, the Dragons locked up head coach David Waite for a further two years until the end of the 1998 season. Waite, who had signed a two-year deal, signed on for a further season in what has been described as a Houdini act, with what he's been able to do at Saints this season. Dragons fans weren't the only ones calling for him to be awarded the Coach of the Year. It was Vintage St George in Round 19 against the visiting Auckland Warriors. The Dragons attacking Blitzkrieg saw it score three tries in the first 19 minutes to lead 16-0. The game was as good as over. Noel Goldthorpe played arguably his best game in the 1996 season, bombing the Warriors' back three mercilessly. His passing was top-notch and adds a great foil to the flamboyant Anthony Mundine. After a slow start, the Dragons' little general is firing at the right time of the year. However, the win did come at a cost with Anthony Mundine limping off with knee ligament damage and Mark Coyne cracking his thumb. Mundine is expected to miss just the one game, while Coyne is out until the start of the semi-finals. In the race for the final, St George had a head start thanks to a well-placed kick from Noel Goldthorpe. Mark Bell crossing the line. Another Goldthorpe kick also paid dividends. He puts a stabbing, grubbing kick through and stacks on the bill and give it a try. And not long afterwards, Goldthorpe again had the ball on a string. The Dragons clinching their third try. There's the kick again and another try. Bad handling errors meant Auckland's scoring chances went begging. But Saints made no such mistakes. Jeff Hardy offloading to Nathan Brown. And Brown scores for St George. Goldthorpe's drop goal added insult to injury. St George leading 23 points to nil at the break. The hand goes up, there's a further point. The Dragons were still firing in the second half. Anthony Mundine finishing off some great team play. It's a running forward, then back. And Goldthorpe is there. And Mundine will score. Minutes later, Mundine put in a brilliant individual effort. It wasn't until the 76th minute that Auckland finally bothered the scorer, but all too little, 
and much too late. And Goodenbale scores! For the second straight season, the Dragons had dismantled a talented Warrior side with destructive attacking play and pinpoint kicking. The win all but ended the New Zealanders' hopes of finals football in 1996 and in the meantime, boosted the Dragons' hopes as well as giving it much-needed points in the points differential column. St George travelled to Lang Park the following week against the struggling South Queensland Crushers. With no Anthony Mundine or Mark Coyne, the Dragons had to delve into their depth in what was a tight tussle north of the border. South Queensland's players are yet to be paid this season and the Crushers coughed up a free try for St George's Adrian Brunker. The home team sinking further into debt when Noel Goldthorpe's kick provided Troy Stone with a four-point bonus. Craig Teevan's been the Crushers' best this year, but a knee injury may have ended his season. Hot heads earned Paul Tideman and Jim Lenehan 10 minutes to cool off. Down to 12 a team, Jason Went reduced the deficit to eight points, but Nathan Brown caught the Crushers' napping, Saints scoring their seventh win in a row. The injury bug struck again, however. After losing Anthony Mundine and Mark Coyne to injuries in the win against the Warriors, Saints lost talented back rower Scott Goulet to a knee injury in his first game back from a neck injury in the reserve grade victory over the Crushers. With seven straight wins, the Dragons had a sniff, unbelievably, of a top four finish. However, that evaporated with a disappointing and lacklustre performance at home against the lowly placed North Queensland Cowboys. Cowboys outfit looked anything but easy beats as they raced to a 16-0 lead against Premiership hopeful St George. Replacement Willie Gibson crossed twice as the locals were left stunned by the early onslaught. A Dragons fight back saw the home side hit the lead in the second half, but in a major upset, the Cowboys recorded only their sixth win for the season. It may yet prove to fire up the Dragons, or will it derail the form team of the competition? This completes part two of the St. George Dragons 1996 documentary here on the Red V Podcast. Don't miss our third and final instalment, which culminates in the Dragons' phenomenal run through the semifinals and into that ARL grand final decider against the Mandaringa Seagulls. Part three will be released soon here on the Red V Podcast documentary series hosted by Jack Clifton. Sports Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.